Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting, and I love building those same-game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio, so use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Call one 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Call 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial one 877 Hope and Y or text Hope and Y to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. Happy trade deadline day. We are live on AMP. Don't forget, if you're watching this on YouTube or the podcast feed, that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get this analysis. We're going to be breaking down the trade deadline, at least the three biggest moves, and maybe some more as well. We have two special things going on today. First of all, we are going to be giving away some free merch based on a trivia question that I think is very interesting. We're going to be doing that 
at the tail end of the show. So stick around. We'll be asking the question. And the very first person to get that question right in the chat is going to get some free volume merch. And we have a very special guest today, somebody that I have admired and respected from a distance for a very long time and that I'm very excited to talk basketball with today. Um, senior writer for Sports Illustrated and host of Three Points here at The Volume, Mr. Chris Mannix. Welcome to the show, my guy. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing very good. So we, I had a feeling that this was going to be a particularly busy deadline. I thought that the wide open Western Conference kind of made it so that if you were in some of these houses, in some of these front offices, that you could talk yourself into thinking that you were one or two moves away from having a real chance. And I think that's exactly what we saw. And we saw uh, a ton of talent shift over to the Western Conference. Uh, the Lakers make a big move. The Suns make a big move. The Warriors make a big move. And we're going to be hitting them all. But we have to start with Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns. So the machinations of the deal, we got Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, four first-round picks and a swap going out for Kevin Durant and TJ Warren. So my first question, Chris, what do you, what, where's your head at with the Phoenix Suns right now, man? You know, I, they're taking a big swing and it's a, it's a move that comes with a pretty significant downside if it doesn't work. I mean, if this team collapses in the next couple of years and doesn't win a championship, then they're going to see a lot of quality draft picks going uh, Brooklyn's way. That being said, it's the right play to make. Uh, you know, guys like Kevin Durant don't come on the market very often. And if you can get a transformative player without giving back a player of equal value, with due respect to Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, uh, whatever Jay Crowder is right now, uh, you're going to take that all day long. So, Look, they've given themselves one of, if not the most dynamic one-two scoring options in the entire NBA. I think Chris Paul is the right point guard to try to meld all that together. And you look at that starting lineup with Aiton at the top of it, you, you've got as formidable a starting five as any team in basketball. So risky, but the move that I, you know, you have to make if you're the Phoenix Suns. The shot creation is going to be completely off the charts. I was looking at it earlier today. Kevin Durant basically has been the best pick and roll ball handler in the entire NBA this year. His ability to draw multiple defenders and start those four on threes has been highly underrated as people focus on his scoring over the years. I, this is where I have two main concerns and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. So let's start with the Chris Paul element to this. Um, how much sense does he even make to be on the floor, particularly with closing groups, now that you have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker on the floor as shot creators? Given that Chris Paul is not the same defender that he used to be, that he's not the same scorer that he used to be, he's going to be in a spot-up position a lot more. I like him coming off the bench, running bench groups and things along those lines. And obviously, I have the utmost respect for what Chris Paul does on a basketball court. But is there a redundancy there now? Uh I mean, what's the alternative? Are we talking campaign as the point guard? Are we talking Booker playing the one? I mean, I guess well, what, I need to what know. What about like a defensive guard? Like what about something like going with uh, Damian Lee getting a lot of minutes in the backcourt? Primarily looking at that as a defensive role. Do you think that's something that's going to be an issue for them? Or do you think they'll lean heavily oh, defense them is, on the court? Defense is definitely going to be an issue for them. Like, you know, you don't have a lot of plus defenders on that team right now, especially with Bridges out the door. And they're going to have to figure out who's now going to be in that rotation, you know, night in, night out. 
I, I just think the upside that Chris Paul is going to bring at least this season is getting these guys all on the same page. I mean, very rarely do you see a superstar trade t- switch teams in midseason and that team have championship level success. I think Chris Paul is going to have to be the guy that makes sure Kevin Durant knows where he needs to be. Make sure Devin Booker knows where he needs to be with Durant's on the floor. And look, DeAndre Ayton, you got to get him involved. Like you can't have DeAndre Ayton, you know, basically being John Collins in 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 the, in uh, Phoenix. Like he's got to get his touches, or else he's going to check out on the other end of the floor. That's where Chris Paul, I think, is going to bring a lot of value uh, to this team. Yeah, he's definitely not what he used to be defensively, but I think as a floor general, as a playmaker, I think most of these games he's going to have more value than anybody else. Yeah, and I'm terrified of like Chris Paul running Spain pick and roll with Devin Booker and needing to bring a third defender over to contain Mm -hmm. that role man and then Kevin Durant just attacking a closeout on the backside or maybe that's Devin Booker if it works out that way. I I am excited about that. I'm with you. I'm I'm really concerned about the wing. All of their wings now are very upright and slow. Torrey Craig is a little bit upright and slow. He's more of like a power forward than he is a traditional wing. Kevin Durant can struggle sometimes with quickness and strength when he's defending on the perimeter. DeAndre Ayton struggles a little bit with quickness. And so I, I worry about them against uh, teams that are are really quick off the dribble. So teams like the Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors that are going to try to uh, really drive and kick you to death. I worry about them against uh, those types of teams. So this is my question. So FanDuel says that they are the favorites to win the rest of the West right now. So do you agree with that? No, I don't think so. Um, I want to see how they play first and foremost. And second, you're talking about three guys that lead the team that are injury prone. You know, Kevin Durant is not even back yet from a knee injury. Devin Booker just sat out a bunch of games. Chris Paul has a long history with injuries, oftentimes that occurred during the playoffs. So like I, I'd be, a little nervous about that if I'm Phoenix, given the fragility of my team. And look, chemistry does matter. Like Kevin Durant really is kind of a plug and play guy because, you know, he, he can do it all, all on his own. But, you know, the integration, I think they're going to be a lot of nights early on where they just get, you know, run defensively. Like they're just not going to be able to get stops or enough stops to win, to win some games. Um, and we'll see, we'll see. But if I'm a betting man, I'm still probably leaning towards the Nuggets or, really just the nuggets and we can talk about the Grizzlies. I have some issues with what the Grizzlies did, but, or didn't do, Um, (laughs) but you know, I'd still probably lean towards Denver right now because that's a team that is on the same page with each other and is clicking pretty well. Yeah, I would probably put them second or third as well because I'm, I've always been very bullish on the Warriors. It's just I've always yep. been the kind of guy that doesn't pay too much attention to regular season results for teams that have a championship pedigree. Um, but that said, I, I kind of look at this deal similarly to the Dallas Mavericks going after Kyrie Irving and obviously on a much greater level because they have more top-end talent. But I don't look at it so much about this year as I do about next year specifically for Dallas and for Phoenix, they can now because they have that core top end talent. Look this summer to find the complementary pieces to put around them. And specifically with moves for guys like Kyrie and guys like Kevin Durant, like you said, the plug and play element, a big part of it too is Devin Booker and Chris uh, and uh, Kevin Durant are so good at shooting over the top of the defense. So you don't have to worry as much about spacing with guys like them. And you can do things like find, you know, dirty work guys that aren't great offensive players to put around them. So I, I think going into next year, I'd probably be very inclined to pick the Suns to come out of the West, but I'm with you this year. When you look at continuity, 
continuity, when you look at some of the physical mismatches that Phoenix is going to deal with, I, I'm a little bit worried about them. Um, what do you think was the biggest reason that the Kyrie Kevin Durant pairing was a failure? Look, a, a lot of it was you know, bad luck and bad timing for all this. Like, you know, if if Kyrie doesn't get injured and James Harden doesn't get injured in the this that Milwaukee series a couple of years ago, did they beat the Bucks? Probably. Like, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> they were. I mean, we, we say it all the time. There were Kevin Durant toe from doing it anyway. You had James Harden, who was out for what almost the entirety of that series, and Kyrie Irving, who was injured. Like, you know, that that was bad luck in that season. Then they come back the next year. It's the pandemic and everything that kind of goes into it. And Kyrie can't play half the games and and all that turned off James Harden and you had to wind up dealing him. So I think they were victims of circumstance. Uh, but towards the end, it was all Kyrie. Like that's why it didn't work. I mean, before Kevin Durant went out, they had won 18 of the last 20. They were 12 and one <laughs> in December. Like, what are we talking about here? Like that was, that led the look of a contender before Kevin Durant's injury. Kyrie wanted to be traded because he wasn't getting the contract offer that he liked from Brooklyn. I mean, he can say now that he feels disrespected and, you know, th things were, were ugly behind the scenes, but if the Nets had offered him in January a extension to his liking, he would have resigned there. He he wanted out because he wanted his bird rights changed to another team. And that's what Dallas has. Like, and Dallas could be in a position where they're so desperate to appease Luka that they'll sign him for the kind of deal that, that he wants in the offseason. So I think I would have liked to have seen what this Nets team could have done with healthy Durant, healthy Kyrie, some pretty good defenders. You know, Royce O'Neal has had a pretty good year on that team. Uh, I, I think that they could have been a tough out in the playoffs with those two guys playing at a high level. But Kyrie decided to be about Kyrie in that moment. And that was the last you know, vestiges of one of, like I said this earlier, like, you know, Sports Illustrated back in 2012 did one of the most abs absurd in retrospect covers of all time with Steve Nash and Dwight Howard saying, this is going to be fun. These guys might have exceeded the lowest of expectations that they had coming in like that to not be able to win more than one playoff series with three in their prime, all NBA, all-star MVP candidates is really a remarkable achievement. No, it really is. And I'm, I'm with you. I would have loved to have seen them play. Now I, I, to be clear, I think I would have, I would have been a hundred percent certain that the Celtics would have beat them. Probably. Uh, it was just but such that a Celtic horrible series, matchup. Like the Celtics series last year, like the entirety of that series was decided by like seven points. So oh, even though it was sure. a sweep, they, you know, the Celtics had some problems with them. For sure, but I, it, there was kind of like a uh, a perimeter strength mismatch in that in that particular matchup that that I think really worked against Brooklyn. But aside from that matchup, I might have picked Brooklyn or given them a very good chance to win in any other matchup in the NBA. I'm with you. I wanted to see what they could do. And from the moment Kyrie got suspended to the moment KD got hurt, you could make an argument that they were the best team in the league. And so if there's one thing that's genuinely impressive about this is I have never seen a player blow up a championship contending, bona fide championship contending team within the season. It's 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 seriously impressive. And, and like, I mean, in, in retrospect, looking back, uh, um, honestly, this was probably the most reasonable move that Kyrie made. 
because it really did make sense. There wasn't many, there weren't many good cap space teams out there this summer. So the bird rights thing really was his best bet to try to get to a team where he could sign a good deal. I'm with you. I actually, I, I know there's Intel that the Mavericks are still considering it, but I would be shocked if Mark Cuban didn't make him an, a max offer this summer. I believe. I don't he think will. he does full max. I think they do three years. Uh, because that so? align that aligns Kyrie with Lucas contract, which he can opt out of after 25, 26. And you can sort of, keep them together as that goes. Look, I, I don't disagree that it was the right move for Kyrie, but he just told his teammates, I'm more important than you. Like for sure. I, I mean, and I've, <laughs> I saw Nick Claxton say afterwards, like Kyrie's the best teammate I've ever had or something to that effect. I'm like, he just blew up your season. Like, <laughs> like you went from being a team that in a year and you, Nick Claxton are one of the defensive player of the year candidates. You are now going from a deep playoff team to one headed for the lottery, most likely, or at least the play-in at this point. So that, to me, is not the hallmark of a great teammate. I, I would 100% agree with you. I, I do have a quick bonus question before we go to the Lakers. Do you think there's any chance in the world that he ends up getting a sign-and-trade to the Lakers after this season? I think there's a chance. Um, like I think Phoenix, remarkably, might actually be in play as well. Um, really? Although, if Kevin Durant hitches himself to Kyrie again, I don't... <laughs> I'd have to question the sanity of that decision. Um, I do think there's a chance. Look, I don't think the look, whatever we, however we play this out, Kyrie's going to do whatever it takes to get the contract that he wants. And if the Lakers who could still decide that, you know, D'Angelo Russell's not for them. Uh, Rui Hashimura is not for them. And they could clear the necessary space to give Kyrie the deal or close to the deal that he wants. I could see Dallas in an effort not to lose him for nothing. Uh, do a deal that gets uh, something back in return. Yeah, someone like D'Angelo Russell to basically be a, a backup shot creator, kind of like a double sign-and-trade type of deal. If they give D'Angelo Russell big money, like, you know, I, I don't know how that appeases Luca. I don't know how, you know, like, hey, Luca, like, here's our solution to your problems. You know, we let Jalen Brunson go. We let uh, Kyrie go. But here comes D'Angelo Russell to be your, you know, backcourt mate for the next three years. That's... <laughs> I'm not sure how well that's going to go over Luka Doncic. Yeah, the worst guy of the three. Um, so we looking back at the Lakers deadline, they basically turned Russell Westbrook, Patrick Beverly, and a second-round pick and a lightly protected first-round pick into D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, and Mo Bamba. So my question for you this, and I, I have some strong opinions here, but I want to hear I want to hear your take on it. Did the Lakers do enough? to make themselves a legitimate threat to get out of the Western Conference. Look, I thought they had a great deadline. I do. And it, you'd extend the deadline back about a week when they made the Hashimura trade. That's kind of part of it. They are operating like a team that has LeBron James should operate. They are putting shooters around him. That's what Miami did. That's what Cleveland did. That's what LA bizarrely the last couple of years refused to do. They are now doing that. So Beasley can shoot. Russell, January, he shot 40% from three. This month, he's at like 43%. Um, you know, Rui Hashimura from certain spots on the floor is a pretty efficient three-point shooter. And guys that can shoot traditionally thrive playing off of LeBron James. Like, how many extra years did Kyle Korver get on his career because he was playing uh, with LeBron James? Like, he just, he's looking to find guys, and because of the attention LeBron draws, these guys get open looks. So, they're doing the right thing. I thought the Thomas Bryant deal was interesting because Bryant's played really well for them. And I don't know if Davon Reed has a spot in the rotation, but maybe they needed a guy that can play defense with that group. So he might be it. 
Uh, but I thought they had a really good deadline. I, I thought they got measurably better um, overall. And if Anthony Davis is healthy, if LeBron's healthy, if they can get a spot in that final eight, um, I, I like their chances of of knocking off one of the top four teams in the West. They're going to be dangerous, I think. The, the two biggest weaknesses that I had for the Lakers coming into the season was athletic size, like size that could move, and backcourt skill, um, specifically pull-up jump shooting and spot-up jump shooting. And D'Angelo Russell, a 53% effective field goal percentage on pull-up jump shots this year. He's been very good in pick and roll this year. Did you know that D'Angelo Russell has been the best isolation player in the league to run at least 50 this season? He's averaging 1.29 points per possession. Classic contract year stuff, you know, as he's been probably working harder than he has in recent years. Uh, Malik Beasley actually is having a down year in terms of his ability to convert spot up possessions, but uh, he's been gunning in Utah in a way that he probably won't with the Lakers and he'll get better. Um, uh, he'll get uh, better opportunities with the Lakers. I really like Jared Vanderbilt. He's actually my favorite guy probably in, in, in these deals because I think of him as just a much better version of Wenyan Gabriel. The Thomas Bryant thing, uh, and I really appreciate what Thomas Bryant did over the last couple uh, uh, months with Anthony Davis getting hurt and just him playing his ass off to to help the, the Lakers stay in games. But he's kind of like another Montrez Harrell, a guy that I genuinely think would be disastrous for the Lakers in a playoff rotation. And so I think the idea there was you move Thomas Bryant to bring in Davon Rudy, who probably won't ever play uh, with how much depth they have on the wing now. But what you do is you make it so that Darvin Ham has no choice but to go to Jared Vanderbilt and Mo Bamba and Wenyan Gabriel in those front court minutes. And Mo Bamba is like interesting to me. He's been very good in spot up situations this year, but he's never been as good defensively as people hoped he would be. I, overall, I do think that Rob killed it this deadline. But here's my question for you. My concern before the season, when Rob and Jeannie decided to kick this can down the road, was... I do believe you can get marginally better trade packages than you could over the summer. But I was concerned that it would cost them in the standings. And here we are, and they're 25 and 30. They are four games from getting out of the plan, two games to even get into the plan. And here LeBron's going to miss tonight, so it might even be even worse after tonight. And so I, the Rui Hachimura deal was unrelated to the summer. They could have made that at this deadline no matter what. The Mobamba deal was unrelated to this summer. They could have made that deal no matter what. You, I believe that uh, Buddy Heald is a better player than Malik Beasley. I believe Miles Turner is a much better player than Jared Vanderbilt. The swing piece there is D'Angelo Russell, who's interesting. So I would say that arguably it was a little bit better than what they could have done this summer. And you saved one first round pick. Uh, as a result, Anthony Davis and LeBron James now from the middle of February all the way through to whenever they lose and or the middle of June have to hit the Jets while Denver can chill, while Memphis can chill, while Boston can chill, you know? And so as a result of that, I, I again, results are going to tell the story and maybe this all works out. But uh, my concern is that the real urgency here was LeBron's late prime and you're 20 and maybe you're 21 if you're lucky. And so I'm, I'm worried that this gamble might've put them in a position where it wasn't worth that extra bit of trade capital. So what, what's your take on that? Do you think the Lakers made the right decision by waiting? Uh, hindsight. Look, the Lakers have made some bad non-calls in the past. Like in 2021, they should have gone and gotten Kyle Lowry. You can debate whether they should have gotten out this past summer and made that deal or whatever deal was available for Turner and Heald. Uh, they were holding out and had been holding out for one of the big names to come available today. 
basically. They were looking for Bradley Beal to hit the market. They were hoping that Portland pulled the shoot on the Damian Lillard experiment. None of that happened. So they couldn't turn Russell Westbrook into the star player that they were looking for. Given that, again, I think they did pretty well here. I, I think they built a team that, you're right, is going to have to claw to get into the playoffs. And our one bad LeBron game or one Anthony Davis ankle turn from getting beat in the play-in tournament. That's a huge risk. But if that team gets into the playoffs, I'm not going to bet necessarily that Denver is going to beat them four out of seven. I'm not going to bet that Memphis is going to beat them four out of seven. Like if that team gets in the playoffs with those two guys healthy and the guys around them making shots in a weird season where the number one team is a lot is pretty close in terms of overall talent and potential as the number eight team. I like the Lakers chances in, in that position. So it's really about the next couple of months, you know, gelling, getting into that play and mix, getting into the playoffs. But once they're there to me, it's look out because that would not be the team I'd want to play in the first round. That's for sure. I agree. It, it, I, I, like I said earlier with the Warriors, I've always been very bullish on championship cores that I've seen win it before. Um, and you can always make up ground, like say for instance, it's a, you get into the first round and you get Memphis and, and LeBron and AD are just on level 100 and they beat Memphis in five games. Then you get that rest and things could work out. I'm not saying it can't work, but I do think it was a risk to put them in that position to have to gun the way they will the rest of the season. And then AD going against Steven Adams one round and then Jokic and, you know, what if he has to play Zubak in the second round? You know, like it could be one of those things where physically it gets difficult for him. But I do agree with you. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Like regardless of what you feel about what they did this summer in the last couple of weeks, Rob Polinka has done an excellent job. And, and it's look, and, and, and they like moving Westbrook was the right move because it it was getting bad there with the last couple of days, especially not just the reported blow up in the locker room, but you know, LeBron's been out there basically saying, do something or, you know, talking about roster moves for, for weeks, if not months now, and any roster move, Russell Westbrook knows involves him. Like it knows he's got to go. Um, I thought, I mean, the, the report that Dave McMenamin said on ESPN, where he's like, and he was the vampire sucking the blood out of the locker room. <laughs> or something, like, I'll tell you what, I didn't get that exact quote from people in that involved there, but I got some version of it like that. You know, this is addition by subtraction. Russ was sucking the life out of that team. Like, I got some version of that from from people in and around that organization. Uh, so the knives are out for Russell Westbrook right now. And it just tells me that, you know, taking him off that roster and plugging D'Angelo Russell in, plugging Malik Beasley in, plugging the guys they're going to add to that group in, um, that that's going to relieve some tension that was going on within that team. Yeah, you don't have to tell me, man. I, uh, I, in my time being a basketball fan, I can't remember many things like rooting for Russell Westbrook. <laughs> it has been, it has been one hell of an experience. Uh, but let's move on to the Gold State Warriors. So there are a bunch of different uh, uh, details in this trade. Uh, guys getting rerouted like Sadiq Bay and Kevin Knox. But the gist of it is, is the Warriors managed to flip James Wiseman for Gary Payton II. I had somebody very close to the Warriors tell me this morning that uh, Steph basically made an ultimatum. Uh, not really, uh, ultimatum is probably the wrong word, but he made his voice heard. Apparently he went to the front office and said, I want Wiseman out of here. Uh, 
I don't think he fits with us. I don't think he's made the uh, the efforts to try to uh, to uh, become a winning impact player with us. There's a conversation to have about Wiseman, but the gist of it is they have flipped him for Gary Payton II. So my question is, does this renew any optimism for you with the Golden State Warriors? Well, in Gary Payton, they at least are getting a guy that they know they can count on, who knows the system, who knows how to play opposite Russ or Clay or whoever else he's on the floor with who can play defense at a high level. And that's the piece they were missing. I mean, they, people inside the Warriors would liberally bring it, say it, that they know they needed something. As while they'd publicly say, you know, we just need these guys to develop, give them time, Kaminga, all that stuff. They knew they needed a piece. They were going to get a piece at this trade deadline. And it was, Wiseman was a obvious candidate to go. And you knew they'd have to sell low on him to get anything back in return. I'm just a little surprised they sold this low. Whatever you think of James Wiseman, he is the former number two pick in the draft. And I know summer league's not the end all be all, but when you watch him play, you can see there's talent there. And he's had a couple of moments with the Warriors during this season where it's like, okay, I know that guy, that guy, that guy can play. So I thought maybe they'd sell for like Alex Caruso, who is more of a two-way player, a little bit of a juiced-up version of Gary Payton with championship experience. To sell for, effectively, Gary Payton, also have to throw five second-round picks in there. That's a lot of picks. Um, to do that, uh, you know, I guess if that's the only thing they could possibly do and you needed to get something to, to upgrade that bench, it is what it is. But I thought Wiseman would be able to bring back more in a, a deal for Golden State. Yeah, you're right. It's the desperation thing. Um, them selling low. Everyone knew that they had to do something. And the only guy they could use to do that would be Wiseman or maybe Moody. Um, I thought the Warriors made two huge mistakes in the in the in this last couple of years from the front office standpoint. First of all, James Wiseman was a star potential big, not a dirty work big. And what they needed from that second overall pick was a dirty work pick, uh, 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 big. So I thought from a strategic standpoint, that pick was such a huge mistake. Then obviously Gary Payton, the second, I mean, if you've watched the games, you could see it, but it especially showed up on the scoreboard in the playoffs last year. The Warriors were plus three per 100 possessions when Gary Payton was on the bench and they were plus 16 per 100 possessions when Gary Payton was on the floor. They played at their best when he was out there because, like you said, he's that connective tissue piece within the Warriors. He's such a good cutter. He's such a good, you know, uh, passer. He, he makes uh, keeps that engine moving while at the same time being able to do the things that he does on the defensive end of the floor. I thought letting him go was a, a serious mistake. But to Joe Lacob's credit and to Bob Myers' credit, they acknowledged it. We messed up. We messed up on Wiseman. We messed up on Gary Payton. So why don't we clean this mess up? And yes, in retrospect, you can look back and be like, man, you could have had both, you know, like obviously it's an issue, but at the end of the day, within the urgency of this season and how good Steph is right now, I respect the fact that they just admitted that and, and decided to move on at that point. Um, and I forget what it was like at the time, because moving Wiseman actually saves them money at the time, bringing back Gary Payton would have cost them like $30 million or something like that <laughs> in luxury tax penalties. Like I, I know it's, we, we always say that's not, you know, billion, they're billionaire owners. They can do whatever they want, but the Warriors have been spending the last few years. They have the highest salaries, I believe in NBA history, uh, highest payroll rather when you factor in luxury tax, like I almost don't blame them for not, you know, giving Gary Payton that, that contract because of what it would have cost them on the back end. 
Yeah, I agree. And it's not it's not like the Caruso thing where they're a little bit in the tax and they absolutely could have afforded to bring him back like this. I, I'm with you. I understand. But Caruso and- Wiseman would have worked straight up like you could do that deal. And I mean, look, Chicago, that's a different story altogether. Like they are in that weird place where losing doesn't do anything for them because Orlando gets that draft pick. So they weren't from what I know, they weren't eager to make a significant deal at the deadline. But you know, that I'm going to look back like Caruso, two years left in his contract, manageable money, really good two-way player. That's the guy I would have done everything to try to extract out of the Bulls. I agree. I'm as big a Caruso fan as you'll find. I, w- I, w- I really, really enjoyed covering him when he was with the Lakers. So I got two quick questions for you before you get out of here today, Chris. Who was the biggest winner of the trade deadline, in your opinion? I mean, Phoenix got Durant. So, like, it's, it's oftentimes the player that that makes the biggest impact. And the Suns, what they forked over the, of the highest value was probably those four first-round draft picks, which five years from now we'll be able to look back on and say, you know, that, right or wrong move at that point. But Kevin Durant, for the next three years, is now a member of the Suns. He's going to be with Devin Booker for at least this year, possibly next. He's going to be with Chris Paul. And they've given themselves more than a puncher's chance to win a championship this year. And, you know, that that to me, you know, that represents the biggest winner. Yeah, it's really that simple. They went from a team that I thought had zero chance to win the Western Conference to the team that's the FanDuel favorite. I think that automatically makes you the winner at the deadline. Who do you think was the biggest loser of the trade deadline? Oh, that's easy. Memphis. Memphis was a loser with a capital L. (laughs) You know, they... Look, I, I can't criticize the organization because they have built something there. Like, not just drafting high with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., but, you know, getting the Desmond Baines, getting the Dylan Brooks. Like, I, they're one of, if not the best drafting team in the entire league. But they should have been operating with the same mindset that Phoenix was. Like, Phoenix is sitting there right in the middle of the Western Conference playing, playing field behind Memphis, and they took a big swing. Like, Memphis has all their draft capital. They've got one extra pick from Golden State that they could use in a deal. They've got some intriguing, tradable young talent on their bench. Zaire Williamson, uh, probably the most uh, marketable. They have the contract of Danny Green, and all they walk away with is Luke Kennard. And I like Luke Kennard, but there's a reason that the Clippers, who just totally shredded their bench, were willing to deal Luke Kennard in every trade permutation possible. Like they were, everything you talked with the Clippers included Luke Kennard, going out that tells me something that that maybe Luke Kennard is not the answer that that some teams think look on paper I get it because Luke Kennard shoots the three that team's a bottom third in the NBA three-point shooting team um doesn't defend the three they're also bad at that but that that can help them at the back end of their rotation but I'm telling you if this team goes out in the playoffs and gets cooked by Kevin Durant or cooked by Luka Doncic or cooked by the Kawhi PG transformer out in in LA. Like (laughs) they're going to look back and say, gee, maybe those three first round picks that are all going to be in the twenties might've been worth it to get OG Ananobi out of Toronto or to get Mikhail Bridges as part of a multi-team deal with Brooklyn. Brooklyn was sitting out there. That deal wasn't official till like a couple hours ago because they were looking to expand that deal to maybe get more draft capital back in return. I think Bridges was available for an, a high price, but a price, uh, and the Grizzlies don't do it. I'm not saying they didn't try, but this was the year they should have gone all in. That team might be one piece away from being, if not the favorite to win the conference, maybe the favorite to win the whole damn thing. So if they get into the playoffs and they get beat by you know one of these top-tier teams because they can't defend 
at on the perimeter at the level they need to defend. We're going to look back on February 9th as maybe the day that that they should have done something. Yeah, I don't take Memphis seriously. I I think in the half court defensively, they have too many entry points that you can attack them from. And then offensively in the half court, they've never been able to score because John Morant's the only guy on the team that can really warp the defense the way that he does. And then you mentioned the three-point shooting. And I, I mean, maybe they're looking to be aggressive sometime in the in the future, but I was concerned with them as well. My biggest loser of the trade deadline was Portland. Um, I really don't understand how turning Josh Hart um, by ter- how uh, getting back Matisse Thibel and Kevin Knox and Cam Reddish for basically, what was it, Josh Hart and um, uh, Gary Payton II, how that improves them. I don't understand what exactly their vision is for the future. I don't – Portland is the team that I can't figure out. I, I, I genuinely don't know what direction they're looking to uh, move here in the next couple no, of they years. Don't, they don't – they're like – their goal is to like – immortalize Damian Lillard in like a Han Solo <laughs> kind of, you know, whatever they call that carbon fiber, whatever the hell it was that Han Solo carbonite. Was in. Carbonite. Yeah. Like it just like at the end, of, when he's finally done playing, they'll just preserve him and put him outside the, the Moda center there. Like I've never like, and Damian Lillard is one of my favorite players. Like he is unreal, but I, I'm just wondering if there's ever going to be a time when Lillard's like, what are we doing here? Like it's a year after year where a 500 team or worse. And you know, unless Shaden Sharp turns out to be this superstar in the next two years, the clock is ticking. Lillard's like, what, early 30s at this point? You know, he's had some injury history the last couple of years. Like, I just, I, I'm with you. I don't know exactly what their plan is. And I actually kind of tried to pick Joe Cronin's brain on this at Summer League briefly when they announced the, the Lillard extension. And I still don't get it. I still don't know what the plan is except to be competitive and to make Damian Lillard the face of that competitiveness. It just, it doesn't, I, I come look, I'm, I'm from Boston. So I've, I've grown up and in, in journalism around Danny H and Danny always operated with the same kind of mindset. Like you're either really good or you're really bad. There should not be any in between. What is the point of just making the playoffs? Like what, who gains anything out of that? And that's how he's conducted himself during his time as an executive, including right now, just gutting that, that uh, jazz team before the deadline. So I don't, I, maybe it's because Portland's a smaller market. Maybe this is what Lillard wants, but just being like a playoff contender year after year with one of the great players of this generation just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they've been healthy and bad for a long time. Um, but yeah, uh, bonus Healthy's points right. for That's this- the thing this year. Healthy, healthy, like, you know, they haven't had significant. I remember looking this up, you know, a couple of weeks ago where, like most of their starting guys are minute high minutes players that played 40 plus games. Like Lillard was in the mid thirties at that point, but they can't point to like, Oh, if this guy came back, they'd be a lot better or that they've been healthy and they still have been a middling team. Yeah. I was looking at the data the other day and it was like Dame, Anthony Simons and uh, uh, Jeremy Grant all on the floor at the same time. And they were barely positive this season, which is just insane. He's such a great Uh, player. He deserves, he deserves to be like, and look, he'd never do this because he is so, committed to that city so committed to that organization but I, I just hate to see a situation where he's like 36 and not at the level he used to be kind of hoisting jump shots in in Portland I, I just he deserves better because he is one of the generation's great talents me too man that would be so sad um but bonus points for the Star Wars reference uh Chris you're someone I've respected for a very long time I had so much fun talking basketball with you today uh i sincerely appreciate you hopping on the show man anytime jason
the volume. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at errands. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.